Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Audio Football Club, in association with Tag Heuer, the official timekeeper of the Premier League. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, we bathe in the magic of the cup as Premier League giants such as Fulham, Cardiff and Huddersfield are side down in their prime by lowly sides, staffed by part-time farmhands, shoe shiners, and fallen soldiers from the elite player performance plan. We bid farewell to Cesc Fabregas and debate his status as a Premier League legend. There's talk of a potential Liverpool wobble and sometimes a wax lyrical about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the super sub as a player doing a very similar job as a manager. Plus, a moan about TV scheduling, praise for some promising young players and a furious Neil Warnock, if you can imagine such a thing. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by tactician-in-chief from the internet. It's JJ Ball. How are you, JJ? Hello, Tom. I'm good. Good. Had a weekend off. It was wonderful. Oh, lovely. Glad yes. to hear it. But watching all of the FA Cup third round, I'm I've sure. I've seen all of the highlights. Fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. Alongside him today, we have the boy wonder, fresh from a tour of duty in our country's northwest, Sam Dean. What's happening, Sam? Yeah, I'm very well. I'm very much not had the weekend off. No, and, good. Uh, it was eye-opening experience, so uh, no complaints there. Have you been to the northwest before? Uh, not to Blackpool before. Ooh. That was new for me. Okay. Um, I think I picked a bad weekend. I think the first weekend of January is not the most lively in Blackpool. Yeah, yeah. Very, very chilly, presumably, up mm. there at this time. Just a bit quieter than I thought it would be. Oh, I'm sorry Disappointingly to quiet. I'm sorry to hear Did that. Did you go on the raids? No, they weren't even any going. It was all very quiet. Disappointing. Finally, completing the lineup. Always a pleasure to welcome the world's greatest man, Jim White. <laughs> welcome, Jim. How are you? I love Blackpool in January. There's something really sad about it. It's brilliant. <laughs> well, there's stack dudes there. Sam. Uh, yeah, no. stack, it's hen parties on nothing no. like that. No. Honestly, Did I you didn't stay up see. There? Yeah, yeah. No. I I didn't see one uh, nightclub, busy pub, mm. people stumbling around drunk. I went for the full, you know, walk down the promenade looking to see what was going on. Nothing. Mm. The first time I went to Blackpool, I went to see Radiohead, which feels quite out of sync with what people go to do uh, in Blackpool generally. Not that festive. Uh, are they, oh, you've ticked them off, presumably. Bloomfield Road is one of your oh, yeah. 92. Yeah, yeah. It was so cold, I had to uh, buy Blackpool FC branded gloves, uh, which were, were terrible. We will get back to Blackpool. Let's start with uh, the shocks in the FA Cup third round this weekend. Give it up for Newport County. How did they do it, beating Leicester on Sunday? Well, they just sat back deep, <laughs> hit them on the counter. Um, Leicester players... Uh, 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 Rashid Gazal, 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 yes, mm. Gazal, uh, equalised with that absolutely brilliant, like uh, punted shot from about twenty yards, which is awesome to watch. I love when those go in. But um, players like him, where you could often see them not tracking back when they're supposed to, and all you need um, in these kinds of games is a team who really go at you, are quick, um, put all the passion into it, 
and they get away with the uh, with get chances. They were getting three v twos, all that sort of stuff on the counter. Um, and I think some players in Leicester just weren't quite as pumped for it as they needed to be. Mm, yeah, perhaps understandable, uh, given uh, given the nature of their season. But Newport were quite obstinate opponents in this competition uh, last year. It took Spurs to replay. I think you were at that game, Sam, weren't you? I, I believe we podcasted uh, after you'd been there. What makes for a lower league cup specialist? Have Newport got something going on which means they are going to continue to be a kind of force in this competition and punch above their weight? Well, I, I imagine the more you do it, the more confident you feel the next time. So there must be some sort of self-fulfilling prophecy involved with this having taken Spurs to a, to a replay they must have thought well we've done that against Spurs and Spurs played a strong team that night we can do it against Leicester who are playing probably a less strong team so why not so that must give them some sort of belief and, and confidence even if a lot of the players are different because obviously there's constant turnover at that, at that level of football but I think it's they, they were sort of the classic big man up front big men at the back head the ball cross the ball and fight and battle and get the crowd up and it just worked really well and that's those are all the ingredients you need for these kind of cup sets and I think they sort of ticked all those nice boxes cup set of the weekend before we got to Newport was uh, League One Gillingham beating Cardiff 1-0 we had an email from another Tom with an H Tom Cousins who says hey guys performance of the weekend has to be Gillingham at home to Cardiff our first third round win in 15 years in that time we've suffered at the hands of non-league Brackley Town twice Dover Barnet and who could forget Burska Borough Having been literally seconds away from going out in the first round to Hartlepool this season, here's hoping a Wembley trip come May now isn't too much to ask for. Are you seeing that in Gillingham's future, Jim? Absolutely. This is it. (laughs) They're on the march. Uh, It was great. Um, Cardiff is slightly different from Leicester. I I think if I was a Leicester fan, I'd be really cheesed off about the fact you you play a half-hearted team Mm -hmm. um, against when you've got a chance of... You know, doing well in the trophy, you don't have to worry about relegation. Cardiff, that's different. They do have to keep their players fresh to um, keep them in the uh, the Premier League. But Gillingham did brilliantly for it. And, and I love Neil Warnock. He's such a good loser. <laughs> he was really furious afterwards. Wasn't <laughs> with he? everyone. He was furious, Everything. furious with Liverpool because they hadn't told him that Nathaniel Klein wasn't going to join Cardiff on loan. Uh, and furious about the stretcher coming on too slowly as well, which I enjoyed. And he always says, oh, what's a disgrace, isn't it? He tries to sort of say it uh, uh, in a kind of a kind way, but it ends up coming out um, quite meanly. The classic deflection tactics Warnock, do we think? Uh, yes, <laughs> uh, very much so. And also on the Klein thing. I mean, maybe if what what Warnock has said is is correct, and I think we're probably okay to doubt that. Um, <laughs> maybe Liverpool should have let him know that deal's fallen through. But at the same time, if you're Nathaniel Klein, who would you rather go and play for? Eddie Howe and nice pretty Ormouth, exactly, yeah. or go and just basically play right back and just put crosses in all the rest of the next few months for Cardiff, which is less uh, exciting. Um, just one thing on Gillingham. We're talking. I was talking to my our esteemed colleague Ben Curtis earlier, and he was saying how, unfortunately, they actually raised the prices of tickets for this match. So there are only seven thousand fans there, and the capacity is about eleven and a half thousand. And that that feels particularly unmagical in the FA Cup to <laughs> to to charge fans more to get in for that, you know, visit of a Premier League team. Seems um, counterintuitive when you could have you know had loads of kids there and a whole new generation of Gillingham fans. But um, hey, I think that's a good example of the way modern football has gone. Yeah, Woking, Woking kept their prices, deliberately kept their prices, mm. even though they, you know, it was the biggest game that they'd had there for since they played West Brom, um, which was sort of back in the 80s, I think. Yeah. Uh, so Woking deliberately kept their prices down. 
in an attempt to do exactly that, to show showcase themselves and bring them in. You Sadly, saw, didn't how much work more was out. it? How much, how much did they raise and buy? It was only a few quid, wasn't it, with Gillingham? But, but it is... Uh, there were loads of um, half-empty stands and uh, like all the... All the, I've watched every single highlights of all these games and loads of empty stands and all those Not games. at Woking, though, notably. That was absolutely packed. You could see it on TV. So, yeah. so hats off to them. But you're right. I did, I did think that a lot of the championship teams, for example, had barely any fans yeah. in their crowd. I think, yeah, the sign. That it's not just the Premier League now who are prioritising league football. Sheffield United. It was completely empty. Mm. One end was completely mm. empty at Bramhall Lane. Mm. And they paid for it, didn't they? Going out to Barnet. Are we, are we surprised about a result like that? Well, the interesting thing I think about a lot of these lower division clubs is the old school methodology of beating a top division team was to churn up your pitch, chuck it in the mixer, give them a good kicking. Now it's basically to use the guys you've got on loan from Premier League clubs. So, you know, Oldham had Sam Surridge, who's from Bournemouth. Um, Barnett had Shaquille Colthurst, who used to be a Tottenham player. So there's a lot more skill than you might imagine. He was really good. He was really good. He was very quick. Yeah, Uh, They've got a lot more skill than you might imagine. And I think that, um, as Sam was describing uh, in the way that uh, uh, Newport won, you know, if you have got players who know what they're doing, it makes a big difference. It's a real pain in the net for commentators, the first round of the third round of the FA Cup. No more can you have a postman delivering across to the far post. You know, it's, it, it does not exist anymore. They're all ex-pros uh, or uh, ex-academy guys desperately hoping that they're going to get somewhere in the shop window, which makes them very determined opponents. Is there something to be said for the old school tactics a little bit though? I was thinking about Oldham specifically uh, saw, saw off Fulham mm. uh, albeit at Fulham um, but you know you, you can imagine a team going to Boundary Park which is by a distance the coldest football ground I've ever been oh, to. Oh god it's really cold. It's not the highest though. Oh? The highest is West Brom. Okay. The the Hawthorns is the highest ground in, in, the, in England uh, but for some reason Oldham it just gets... All the wind coming off the moors there. It's terrible. I agree. Nasty place to go. Uh, They had some good cup runs, 2008-2013. Do we think there is anything to be uh, gained from having a kind of inhospitable stadium? Does it it matter anymore if if you're a Premier League team to go somewhere that is the archetypal tough place to go? I think definitely. I think think probably the most... Uh, influential factor is the, the pitch quality. I think if, if it's not carpet-like, which every Premier League ground is now, that makes quite a big difference to the sort of the modern way of playing out from the back and that sort of thing. I mean, I mean, even at Blackpool v Arsenal this weekend, you, you could tell that the Arsenal players were taking an extra touch more than they would normally because of fear of the bobble and the pitch might you know mm-hmm. cut up a bit in front of them. So that definitely affects the mentality and sort of the the style of the play. I think, and that can help. Oddly, I suppose an uneven playing field can help level the playing field. I think a lot of the players who come into um, bigger clubs who maybe sit on the bench and they are usually, well, they're from foreign leagues generally uh, aren't really accustomed to quite how violent uh, Sunday league football and lower <laughs> league football can be in England. And I think there a lot of players you can see just don't understand quite how committed you really have to be to put up. Even if you're much, much better than a player you're playing against, if they are putting far more effort into it and throwing their body... Like, there was... Some of these games, there were there was uh, shots being taken from twenty yards. In the Leicester game, actually, shots taken from twenty yards, and there's three players throwing their body, like trying to stop a bullet from hitting the president, all the way through it, <laughs> all doing the same thing because they're so wired getting onto it. And you have some players then who are used to being able to use skill and trickery, and you can do that at certain points. But the FA Cup's weird because often it throws these players in against each other when they shouldn't really be in the same world. 
I think it's a is it a uniquely British thing that like fans go nuts for like a tackle by a corner flag. Yeah, I it goes hate out this. for a goal kick and nothing actually comes of it, but it just gets the fans up. We're talking about from earlier, Spain. Yeah. Must be like, why, why are they cheering <laughs> this? That was just stupid. But, but if, it, you know, when you play Sunday League, right, and you, you charge a ball down to the corner and you fly into tackle and it goes out for a throw, and your manager's going like, yeah, well done, everyone's cheering you on. It doesn't achieve anything. Was it? We were talking about Gerard earlier. Yeah, yeah. Like Stephen Gerard is, a, is managing Rangers just now. He's obviously doing he's doing okay up there just now. Um, but as a player, he was all like gung ho. Yeah, let's go for it. But seemed to often not apply any tactical noose or intelligence to some of the things he was doing because he would roar in like a, a hero, a legend, to slide in and wipe his player out for a goal kick. But it meant that, like Rafa Benitez was said to him, that it meant all you've done is won a goal kick. And you used up your energy chasing it down. And I, I see it when I play on Sundays. But, but if, that, if that does get the crowd up, isn't it worth it? Because that's well, going to have an sometimes, effect. Sometimes, yeah, but, but you can do but, the middle JJ, of the, 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 the If spirit is an important thing, just yeah. look at Oldham, okay? Oldham thrashed 6-0 on Boxing Day. Their players were threatening to go on strike in October because they weren't being paid. They've got a guy who was expecting to stand in the stand as a fan, as their manager... And they win at a Premier League club where most of the guys are on £100,000 a week. So that suggests that if it is down to spirit, that spirit is a very effective weapon. Absolutely. It's essential for these teams. Like it. You absolutely have to have it. But what I, what I think my point is, is that I think in certain other countries which tend to have really, really talented technical players come through regularly, I don't think you get the same type of launching into tackles type of play in the lower divisions. They just don't want it enough, do they, Jojo? That's the problem. <laughs> but I wonder I wonder also, can we, if we're going at the, they just don't want it enough, can we also have a go at the managers? I wonder whether being a foreign manager, the FA Cup is really just a bit of a pain in the neck. Yeah, no. For Claude Puel, it's just a bit of a pain. He hasn't got that desire, that passion uh, that, you know, uh, mind you, Neil Warner lost, so let's forget it. <laughs> yeah. Forget that. But then that's sensible business to, to a lot of managers. So if you're just trying to keep the status quo going and make sure that you get players fresh for the, the games that really matter, the league, that's what you're paid for because basically clubs are businesses, so it's all about making sure you tick over with your money. Then putting your big players into a game where they could get uh, like wounded in some tackle. So Andres Townsend got a horrible tackle on him early against Grimsby. The boy gets sent off for it after VAR. It was a good use of it this weekend. Um, but you have that and you lose an important player and suddenly that's you absolutely gubbed because Crystal Palace lose Townsend and that's them really struggling because they haven't got enough going forward. And it also means that... Um, I forget what my other point was, but yeah, go with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no enormous surprise to see Huddersfield go out at Bristol City... It's fair to say the relegation threatened teams in the Premier League are, are not taking the FA Cup very seriously at this point. Can we blame them? Um, probably not, no. Um, particularly given the, the sort of financial stakes at play in the it's, Premier League. It's almost irresponsible not to prioritise yeah. the Premier League financially. But at the same time, from a Fulham perspective, for example, um, Ranieri was rightly furious at his players and you know missing penalties and giving away stupid penalties and just generally underperforming. Um, it, it, and I think there's a lot of issues in the crowd yesterday at Fulham, which is odd. Fulham's not the kind of place where people get angry, but I think there was quite a lot of anger there yesterday, which is... Within the angry section. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just next to the family. Yeah, four of them. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you, you look at that and think, the FA Cup could have been a good chance to inject some sort of enthusiasm back into a club which is losing its way and is really struggling for any sort of feel-good factor. And then you go out and lose to Oldham and it kind of all just gets worse. So from that sense, you can see why it might have been worth having a bit of a go but yeah, you're right I mean you can't you can't say you should do this when there's so much else so much on the line for the league game 
Let's get back to the feel-good factor a little bit and focus on one of the things the FA Cup does well, which is allow us to see some of the youngsters who might not be getting a game in the Premier League. Willock at Arsenal looked good. Hudson at as well. Uh, did anyone stand out for you particularly, Jim, at the weekend? You were at Manchester United and, and saw a couple up there. Yeah, Diego Dalot, uh, who's 19, uh, looks you know, pretty accomplished uh, player. Uh, Tabitha Chong came on, uh, who has two things going for him. Magnificent hair, <laughs> uh, which the Daily Telegraph this morning spotlighted and highlighted rightly. And also an absolutely brilliant chant. Uh, we've only got one Chong. Uh, we've only got one Chong, which uh, um, I thought was very, very good. Uh, I can't remember whether he touched the ball, but those two elements were fantastic. Uh, and then I think, um, just because I think he is the future of English football, Phil Foden. City fans scoring at the uh, Etihad. That hasn't happened for a very long time, a City fan getting into the team. Um, and he just, he just... He's 18 and he looks already. He's magic, isn't he? Oh, he's fantastic. Do you know his um, actual his output as well? And um, I went through some of the Opta stats recently going through for the season. And uh, even though he only plays in 10 minute bursts and that, he's one of the highest chances created per 90 player. He comes on, obviously, he comes on at the end when they tend to be winning. So mm. the defence has maybe given up a wee bit. But he manages to, he always is part of attacking moves and actually contributes to them. It's good he's starting to, starting to score now. It'd be nice to see him. I thought, um, you know, he's only on for a, a wee while, but Marcus Rashford is like unbelievably good. And when he comes on, you can see the difference in quality between him and so many other players. He came on and just took on a guy for a pace in the left wing, I think went straight past him. How was it you say Chong's first name? I've been struggling for ages. Tabitha, isn't it? Tabitha, yeah. Is it, so they pronounce the H as a B. Tahit. Tahitha. Tahitha. I don't know, because it could oh, be a I B. Don't I don't know. I don't know, I just genuinely wonder. Ask Tommy, he's got a stray H uh, in his name. Yeah, sure, sure, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll edit it in afterwards, I'll be a pronunciation guide. With uh, Joe Willock, it's quite a nice story, I'm just going to throw this in. Um, he's, he's got two brothers who are also professional, one's at Benfica and one's at Man United, that's Chris and Matty. And uh, Joe said after the, the Blackpool game that their dad has bought himself a subscription to Y Scout, which, JJ, you'll know all about this, it's yes. like... It's like the uh, the analysis platform that all the clubs and scouts use, so that which is very much a professional thing. And their dad basically uses it to analyse his son's games and then criticise them afterwards. <laughs> yeah, and Joe Willett was saying that if my dad does have a bad game, it doesn't matter what anyone else says to me. Is he's the one that he's the one that really matters? Which I thought was quite funny. I thought that's quite sweet, and it shows what kind of culture you need to foster at home to create three professional footballers for sons. You were up at that game, Sam, in Blackpool, protester from the Blackpool contingent sitting on Arsenal's team bus didn't seem to put off Arsenal very much a fairly easy win for them uh, is there any sign uh, that things are going to change anytime soon in Blackpool for those fans who, who are still uh, extremely unhappy with the way the club's being run under the Oysters? No I, I don't think so unfortunately I mean they're going to keep protesting and they're going to keep boycotting matches I mean it's been more than three years now since they stopped going to games um, what's, it, what's it like when you go up there is there a kind of picket line that you have to cross if you're a fan who, who is not boycotting the club well, it's interesting this weekend because there were more fans there than usual to see Arsenal, but there still weren't very many, and there were still more Arsenal fans in the ground than Blackpool fans, which is odd. And one Blackpool fan I was speaking to was saying that we don't, we're saying they don't actually want to win this game. They don't; it's not in their interest to win because it means more money going into Owen Oyston's pocket. So they actually are going to watch the team, but kind of hoping they lose, which is very unusual. And it made for a really weird atmosphere where it just sort of happened, and then the game existed in its own sort of. Bubble. It was very strange, but no, I don't think. I mean, I mean, I mean, this is this is one of the, the greatest examples of mismanagement and financial irresponsible financial irresponsibility um, in English football history. I think, and unfortunately, the 
the belligerent nature of the owner means it's not going to change anytime soon, I don't believe. Wither, the fit and proper persons test. Bit of controversy at Tranmere, Jim. Pochettino bringing on Harry Kane for the very end of that game when they were 6 0 up already at Tranmere. Was he taking the mickey a little bit, Pochettino, or did he have a point? He said afterwards that some of the fans here would have wanted to have seen Harry Kane. Yeah, I thought that was quite an interesting uh, reason for it. I mean, we've just been talking about Andros Townsend and, you know, putting your players at risk. It seemed a risky thing to do. So he must have prejudged it and thought, actually, he's the England captain, they want to bring him on. But, you know, um, they didn't bring uh, um, Sergio Aguero on at uh, the Etihad when they were winning. 6 nil, did they? Uh, it it was it was a. I, I think he I think he meant well actually. Um, I think Pochettino yeah. generally does mean well, uh, but you could take it as um, one of two ways. I suppose if they're six nil down, the Tranmere fans doesn't really matter if he gets the seventh, does it? I think it was great they put him on. I, um, I agree totally with what Pochettino was saying. It's nice for fans to see players that Harry Kane play against them. But it also does benefit Spurs because he's only playing about he's only about ten minutes he was on for or something like that. Mm. So. It keeps momentum going, and Harry Kane is desperate to score goals. And he scores every time you score; it helps your confidence a bit, it keeps momentum going. So you go into your next game um, on a happier bit of morale. I'm just basically doing what I think of video games when you get happier <laughs> for the next game. But that makes sense to me. And um, I also like that um, Pochettino and Man City did it as well. They played slightly swapped around squads, but they still still were very strong. So they're respecting the competition because obviously they want to win things to try and actually. You remember for things you win, aren't you? So it's it's. I don't understand why you wouldn't put out a strong side. Well, again, I'm contradicting like, myself. I understand why you would put out a weak side, but you should not. You should put out. You can put a few kids in, but then City's team was, you know, eight changes. I think they made, but that seemed like a first choice team that could play in the Premier League easily. Quite, it's but, a different thing though for uh, Guardiola though because he's got such a large squad. He's got to keep yeah. people getting game time and so on. So extra competitions are actually a bonus for him. If you're down at the bottom of the Premier League, they're actually a, an, an obstruction and a distraction, aren't they? And you, you're fearful that your players might get injured in them. Yeah, but then that's part of your squad building, isn't it? You should have players that are ready to come in to... It's obviously hard because where do you find the players that are good enough to push the ones in your first team, especially if you haven't got the cash. To, if you need to spend all your money on good first team players rather than distributing it around more of the squad like City have. But then City have great players everywhere so they're able to challenge for each place but they can make those changes and it still seems a good squad because Guardiola has played those players in other games. So they've had more game time so they're better fitted to the the situation that they're in rather than just throwing in, oh, here, Joe Willick, here's your 70 minutes for the next two months or something like that because they can get more time. I know that I mean, Unai Emery's put on some of the young players. I think Nketiah's had a few minutes here and there, hasn't he? But you can play them more often and build them up so they're ready to play. Like Hudson O'Doy, I mean, you've got Bayern Munich trying to buy him and he could easily be playing and getting more minutes in the Premier League. I, I cannot see for one reason why he, he wouldn't get more time on the right wing or left wing in Chelsea. I'd uh, this is this is something I've not entirely thought through, but I would. Um, <laughs> I love it already. <laughs> I would prevent teams who are playing in Europe from playing in the FA Cup. Ooh, wow! I think that would be my solution. Get out! That that, <laughs> that, that would be my uh, foolproof plan of how to save the FA Cup. What level of Europe? Any level of Europe. So Europa League and Champions League teams aren't allowed to enter the FA Cup, and then the winner of the FA Cup gets a Europa League spot. But you can't defend your trophy. No. Bring back you the Cup Winners' Cup. So. I have. You can't defend it, but that means someone else can win it next year. Cup Winners' Cup. It should be a thing. 
Well, Europa League B, we've got that to look forward to uh, mm. next season. <laughs> uh, we need just to mention as well the results of the weekend. QPR finally winning a third round game at the first time of asking since Trevor Sinclair's overhead kick. Is this the first sign of the apocalypse? <laughs> Uh, you, got, you, you missed it. You weren't there, were you? No. Oh. <laughs> my, my stock line when people ask me if I'm going to QPR for cup games is I know better than that. And in fairness, <laughs> I was at the Trevor Sinclair game uh, and, and that was about the last good thing to happen to us in the FA Cup. So uh, I'll, be, I'll be getting massively on board if we get to the quarterfinals. But then and only on the then. bandwagon, I see. So, so yes. would, as a QPR fan, would you rather get, for example, Man United away in the next round or have no... Man United or City or Chelsea in the competition and therefore increase your chances of going all the way? All I'm really concerned about is going to football grounds I haven't been to before, so the dream tie for me would be uh, Shrewsbury away. <laughs> Obviously. Newport? Have you been to Newport? Not been to Newport. Would love to go to Newport. Gillingham? Gillingham I've done many oh, times, right. Jim, I'm afraid. Uh, no, no great desire to go back to there. <laughs> Can we have a little talk about the TV coverage of the FA Cup this weekend? Man United versus Reading being picked for TV upset me. There was a 4-0 win for United at this stage in January 2017, which felt like the, the nadir of Man United being picked automatically for FA Cup games on TV. The same game again, and suddenly it's back. Is there any point complaining about this? I mean, we know why Man United are being picked. It's the highest possible audience. But shouldn't we be demanding more from our TV scheduling? It's almost as if it'd be better if Man United weren't allowed to be in the <laughs> <laughs> Well, they're not going to get into Europe, so uh, you might, you might have uh, backed yourself into a corner, Sam. This is one of the only games that I thought, you could, well, if Mourinho had still been in charge, that's one where you could say, oh, this could be funny. Like, Reading could well have got a result out of them. But with a social good feeling around the around the place, it's a bit different now. I mean, the, the problem is clearly that the TV companies, especially BT Sport, like, I know, I mean, I spent a bit of time there. I know that the numbers are huge for Man United and for other games, I mean, especially in Champions League and that, they were never anywhere near as high. And I think a lot of the reason they got into it because they knew they would get big numbers from teams like Man United and Liverpool. And that Man United weren't in the Champions League for a long time really hurt them and their strategy. And now they've got new people in charge who don't seem quite as desperate to have all the football on and really go for it as they did maybe four years ago. But Man United's got a big viewing figure. I'm sure Reading fans wouldn't have minded it being on TV. They wouldn't get to watch their team that much. Give the people what they want, Tom. Well, uh, but I think, I think the main problem about uh, uh, you know the, the manner of, in which um, television is dictating kickoff times was the international contract uh, this weekend, which meant that half a dozen games were kicking off at 12.30 on, on Saturday. And then you had things like um, uh, the Tottenham, Tranmere game when Tottenham play, uh, fans couldn't get back on the trains, uh, you know, it, all these kind of things. And and that wasn't actually, um, well, the uh, Tranmere Tottenham one was, uh, wasn't for a domestic live audience. It was for international live audience where the money's coming from. And of course, the FA would say, well, that money is really useful because it enables uh, Woking to get £150,000 from staging a, a mm. game, which is enough to pay half their um, wage bill for a year. So uh, the the competition, in a sense, to keep itself going, is undermining its romance and its purpose and the reason why we all love it. Ban the European qualifiers. <laughs> You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Cesc Fabregas looks like he's leaving Chelsea, looks like he's leaving English football. He was subbed off in a game against Nottingham Forest, uh, apparently off to Monaco. Do we think he is a great of the Premier League, Sam? 
Uh, I think he is a great Premier League. I think he will probably fall into the second tier of great players in Premier League history. What's the second tier? Below 20? Uh, are, we, are, we, are we doing this like the league system? Yeah, I'd say probably below 20. Is yeah. he playoffs in the Premier He's in your 20 to 40 range, I who, think. Who else is in that range? Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. That's yeah, a really that's a good one. Shout. That's a great shout. That's not Mark Viduka. Oh, uh, I think he's League One. Do you think? Yeah. Mark Viduka's a Premier League legend. Yeah. He's got goals all over the place. Yeah. Janinho. Actually, yeah. no, maybe, maybe I've been a bit generous to Mark Viduka <laughs> there. I'm going to think of another example. How will, how will you remember him, Jim, in English football? Well, the thing about Fabregas is that a big chunk of his career, particularly the victorious part of it, wasn't in the Premier League. Uh, so, you know, he's not somebody who has been through it in, in, in his entirety. In terms of his personal um, uh, successes, wow, amazing. You know, he's, he's, he's won two European championships. Uh, he's won the World Cup. Um, incredible. But a lot of that wasn't involved in the Premier League. So I'm not sure whether we can count him um, as a, a Premier League, Premier League player. I'd uh, definitely not put him in the top two. I, I'm, I'm beginning to think, when you start thinking of all the other people who've been there, I'm beginning to wonder if he even makes the championship, to be oh. honest. I think what is definitely fair to say is that he, I think, changed the course of Arsenal's modern history. I think he, him coming through and, and is what led to Wenger going for the whole change of style. Vieira left and he built his team around Fabregas instead and that heralded this new era of new player at Arsenal, a new style at Arsenal, the new stadium, and I think he was the central figure behind that. That's not a great piece of history then, because he's the central figure around them no well, longer winning the league. Exactly. And also I think his departure is sort of what uh, led to the departures of Van Persie and Nasri and that team sort of falling apart. So you do wonder if he'd stayed, how different Arsenal's modern history might be. But yeah, I think in terms of his, his significance on the way the game is played here, I think it's, it's, it's pretty uh, influential. It's a weird one, isn't it? I've thought about this a lot and I have no idea where I, where I, where I place him. He does things that you don't really remember. Like no one remembers it was him at past Iniesta for the World Cup winning goal. I, just, I, just don't, I didn't remember that until I went and researched it this morning. Um, he was really important in the Chelsea, the league winning season, um, doing so much from the centre of the, midfield. The Mourinho league winning season. Yeah, yeah. sorry, yeah. Um, he always brings a lot of class to games he's in. He's got a nice touch. He was never quite fast enough. He was always so close to being good, but never quite, been great, but never just just enough there. You think the players he grew up with at Barcelona, maybe if he'd stayed there, he might come through. In fact, Jeremy Wilson writes about this. He's on the Telegraph website. Um, and it's absolutely great. I think he sums it up better than certainly I will. But uh, <laughs> but if he stayed at Barcelona, maybe he'd come through and have become more of a of a name because he'd be part of that um, Iniesta, Xavi, Messi, Puyol kind of academy uh, thing rather than breaking into Arsenal teams but 17 he broke into Arsenal's first mm. team didn't he? Mm. so I mean I don't know I think his I best don't know. His, uh, his best years I think were his early years before the mullet years the mullet years before he went to Barcelona when he was sort of the, the fulcrum of that of that post Vieira Arsenal team those I think were his, his like his best years but he was still early 20s then so I don't think he's necessarily built on that promise I mean obviously he's had a fantastic career he's won everything I think apart from the Champions League so you can't argue with that but I don't think he's really built on the promise he showed but he looked like he could be one of the best players you know in the world at the time Slight surprise he's chosen to go to Monaco is there anyone we would also like to see joining him any other Thierry Henry teammates we'd like to see meet up with Thierry Surprisingly of that 2006 uh, Champions League quite a lot of them are still playing most of them were subs on that day I mean Van Persie's still playing uh, Reyes is still playing Flamini's still playing Clichy's still playing Ashley Cole 
hasn't said he's retiring, has he? He's no longer at LA Galaxy. So, you know, there's there's a few Thierry mates he could get in, I think. I'm surprised you're surprised he's gone to Monaco for the uh, last few years <laughs> of uh, enjoying his career. Yeah, what benefit does that possibly have for someone who earns a bit of money like that? It's a good signing for Monaco because that's exactly what they need. They've got all these young kids who are there who could become superstars, but they're, they're actually way off it just now. A lot of injury problems. What they need is some experience and some class and quality. And Fabregas brings exactly that. He under- he'll probably share the same... Uh, having gone through, uh, played for Barcelona and been at Arsenal when he when he was with Henri, um, they'll share similar thoughts on how to play the game, which should really help. He'll be like Henri's maybe avatar on the pitch. You know, he's the one that can help organise and get them well much higher up the table than the artist now because it's not going very well, Mister Henri. I wonder how much damage it does to your like footballing ethics to play under Mourinho for two years. <laughs> like he played under Wenger, then went to Barcelona, played under Guardiola. Then he had the Mourinho years. Does that like change your view of football? I don't know. I imagine that Mourinho sort of drills. He won it out the title though. Yeah, yeah. One time to playing quite um, combative industrial football for most of the time with, uh, with Mourinho. Must, must just make you a really well-rounded player. You've had a bit of everything. Exactly. Yeah. You played under Guardiola. You played under Wenger and Mourinho and Conte. It's hard. I mean, you'll have a lot of stuff you'd know, especially tactically from Conte and Mourinho and well, all of them really. There's so much you can bring to that. You can bring to the table. That's why there's so much excitement about Xabi Alonso. Because he's played under literally like all the best managers. And yeah. under Rafa, Guardiola, Mourinho, Ancelotti. I'm trying to think who else played under. At least those four. Which is, you know, as it goes, quite a good uh, education. Yes, emerging young talent Xabi Alonso will look out to uh, <laughs> follow his career. Remember the name. <laughs> <laughs> Let's turn our attention back to the Premier League. We had Thursday night's mega game with uh, City seeing off Liverpool. City resume against Wolves this Monday night, or next Monday night. Liverpool are at Brighton on the Saturday afternoon. Is it a big advantage to play second in these circumstances, Jim? Um, I think so. I think that... You know what you've got to do. I mean, I suppose you know what you've got to do anyway. You've got to win. Um, uh, I, I, I thought that game, um, you probably talked about it before, but I thought that game was just great. Very, very I exciting. I loved it. I it thought, was amazing, wasn't it? I thought everything about it. You know, these these two teams, Tottenham desperately clinging to their coattails, but they are head and shoulders above every, everyone else. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to make for a very exciting run-in. I think when you've got two teams who are so capable of attack, it really makes a big difference, which is a big difference for when, you know, from the days when Mourinho was uh, r- running teams at the top. I think psychologically I'd rather be the front runner going first because I think it must be easier to, well, not easy, it must be more enjoyable to think, OK, if we win this, we go six points clear rather than we have to win this to maintain our lead. You see what I mean? It's like... You can focus on the positives if you go first, rather than we have to win to avoid this weekend becoming a negative. Do we expect a Liverpool wobble now after the result against City? I think there's always room for it. Klopp's he's not had great Januarys throughout his career, in fact. Um, Dry Januarys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, yeah. I'll see what happens because we're obviously recording this on Monday, so they're playing Wolves tonight, and they'll probably put a bit of a weakened team. But a loss there could then further. Um, throw them off balance it could leave them um, a bit with a lack of momentum so it goes into the next game and then if teams have, can just take advantage of a little bit of 
if their confidence isn't 100%, it's a little bit rocked because they've had that Man City defeat, so they know that, well, we really do have to keep on top of it here. It could really build. Klopp's doing well to get rid of the pressure, trying to say Man City are the best team in the world and um, just trying to be all happy about it the whole time. But I don't know, it must just depend on the the team and the players you've got because if you lead it's a two-horse race you often see that the the horse that is in front often gets overtaken in the last to come to come by of all the horse races that I've watched <laughs> <laughs> the many horse races but that's the thing you know like you lead in you, you have to disguise yourself but if you're behind you can chase onto them and then you can take advantage of any mistakes rather than having to not make any yourself hmm. Jamie Carragher did a very good column as always uh, last week about saying talking about how the last two times Liverpool went close to the title, they had, sort of had this wave of emotion behind them and the, the fans would sort of, particularly in the, Regis, the Brendan Rodgers year, the fans would sort of spill out onto the streets before and bang on the bus and get everyone really hyped up. And I think people, as a rule, see that as, oh, it got too much for them, they couldn't handle it. But he was saying, no, that, was, that helped them through that. I mean, I think they won 10 of their 11 games before Liverpool lost to Chelsea that, in the Gerrard slip year. And then he's saying that actually the, the excitement and the emotion that built around the club and the city helps them avoid the wobble and I wonder if that's going to be the same this year and Klopp's been trying very hard to sort of play that down a bit he's not trying to whip it up just yet he can't credibly keep doing that for too much longer no when you hit when you hit in March so you hit March and April and you're still in the in the in the fight I think it's going to really kick off and he's going to probably whip it up a bit more I don't know but um I do find it interesting that that sort of psychology behind the the emotion of it and the, the desperation for that title Liverpool what effect that actually will have on them I think Ranieri managed that perfectly when he was at Leicester because mm. he he always played it down and took away all the pressure talked them out of it the entire time made a bit of a joke about it and then when it became possible like conceivably and he needed needed a change couldn't just do in this um, happy uncle type mm. routine he went with now yes we can win this and really turned them into like, they went to the next level and they became far more I thought they seemed more focused more determined for the final bit of games. They maybe didn't play as well, but they, that's how they got over the line. Maybe we'll see that with Klopp. I, I just well. remember Ranieri being kind of on the verge of tears for about three months and everything <laughs> he said to the press. I want to yeah. see more of that. I want to see Klopp and Guardiola crying constantly. Both City <laughs> and Liverpool have got to travel to Old Trafford still. Does that make Ole Gunnar Solskjaer the unlikely kingmaker <laughs> in well, the title race? Uh, given the way that they played United uh, at home, both of them, uh, neither of them will be worrying about that particular uh, trip. Things have changed, obviously, on, under Solskjaer. Um, um, he it couldn't have been a bigger open goal um, that you know the five fixtures so far couldn't have been a bigger open goal. But the thing about Solskjaer when he was a player was he never missed open goals, <laughs> uh, and he, he he's really done a very very good job there in just uniting everybody, putting a smile on face. It reminds me, and this is probably going to cheese off more United fans than uh, uh, anything I could possibly say. It reminds me a bit of uh, when Kenny Dalglish took over from um, Roy Hodgson at Liverpool, that there was a dysfunctional problem. There was uh, a split between the fans and and the club. Um, Hodgson was really unpopular. Dalglish came in and just returned the place to its values, its traditions and so on. Smiled a lot, um, which must have been painful for Kenny Dalglish. Smiled a lot (laughs) and uh, generally uh, just revivified uh, the place. I mean, it didn't last in the long term, but it really did in the short term. And and Solskjaer has has absolutely done that. I think he's probably, um, you know, probably a shrewder long term possibility than than Kenny was but I, I can really there's a real um, similarity there it is amazing how just changing the, the mood 
such a massive impact yeah. so quickly. I mean, it shows the complete dominance of psychology in sport and sort of the, the, the power of the of the vibe, if you will. Just like the mood around the place and the energy of a... I mean, Pochettino, for example, he's, he's got this whole life theory about energy in a room and he even keeps lemons in a cup to take away the bad energy. Who doesn't? <laughs> exactly, there's one over there. Actually. He, uh, but I think that, that that seems to be sort of true in football that you have this sort of feeling and this mood and atmosphere around the club and just by tweaking that or changing that it can it can really make a enormous impact yeah like he belongs to the fans I think it, with these massive clubs it it really works with the ethos because they understand the culture of the club and I guess there's this thing because football's very tribal and there's a natural inherent fear of the other within humans we're in quite um, pop psychology here but when you have someone like Solskjaer who was with United and learned under Alex Ferguson and represented everything that was good about it he worked hard he wasn't enormously talented but made far more use of his talents than um, you know other players certainly have um, like Alex Ferguson, he was a striker, scored heaps of goals, um, but was never really considered as one of the greats. And he comes into the club, brings his happy face, and he says the right things. He says you only need two centre-backs, that's all you need. Um, pushes them forward, plays the right way, and it taps into exactly what the fans want to have. They have their club back, because it's that identity is right back to where they were. And it's almost as if a club like Manchester United, although it's this huge, multinational, massive listed company, um, still needs to have someone who understands the city it is within, so you have someone who is um, comes across as a kind of a working class boy, I guess that makes sense. You put them in, rather than having an inter- international galactic star like Mourinho comes in, who understands the principles of football and how they're really applied. But Solskjaer represents everything that Man United fans want to have in that seat. And so they can see themselves as him and he's doing the right things. Yeah, absolutely right on that. They had a chant on Saturday, which the first line was, Ollie's at the wheel, how good does that feel? So absolutely <laughs> fits What's the that. tune? It's Waterfall. <laughs> the, um... Oh, Clever, clever. I don't know it, Jim. Can you sing it? Uh, it's the Stone Roses. Stone Roses. Uh, probably before your time. <laughs> uh, it's the first big test for Solskjaer this Saturday, isn't it? Uh, Spurs face Manchester United. How do you see that going, Jim? Well, one of the other things that Solskjaer's done, apart from putting a smile on the face of the, the fans, is he's interacted very closely with the, the, the players. Um, clearly has actually given masterclasses in finishing to Rashford. He's been talking to Lukaku. Lukaku scored three goals in his three appearances under him far and, and looked far from the kind of lumbering misfit that he did in the latter days of, of Jose Mourinho. And Lukaku on uh, Saturday was saying that, you know, um, he gave a very thorough analysis, a personal analysis of, of what he should be doing and, and, and so on. And I imagine he's probably been doing the same with uh, Alexis Sanchez as well, albeit through an interpreter. But uh, <laughs> I, I really, I, I think that's a very, very strong indication of where he's going. As long as Mike Phelan's doing the same with the defenders, uh, you've got, you know, a reasonable chance. There'll be a very different team from the hapless shower who Spurs beat 3-0 um, at Old Trafford earlier in the season. Mike Phelan's really important there as well, isn't he? Because I think I've, I've read, I don't know how true this is, you'll know better than me, but um, when Alex Ferguson had Phelan as his assistant, it was often him or, or Keros was there as well. They were doing a lot of the, the game tactical decisions. They were doing a lot of the stuff. And Ferguson was just there to build the, you know, the, what's the, the atmosphere around the team and put the right players in the right time because he understood innately what players would suit which games. Whereas the assistant manager was often had a really heavy hand in how the games were played, which is, makes total sense why Solskjaer would then choose Phelan to come in because if he's not sure he knows exactly what the players should be wearing when and why they should play the way they should then you've got someone else you can make decisions that you maybe don't notice also looks very very good in a pair of shorts (laughs) (laughs) 
Audio Football Club in association with Tag Heuer, the official timekeeper of the Premier League. Our timepieces are designed for those who love challenges. Don't crack under pressure is much more than just a claim. It's a state of mind. JJ, let us get to your dossier. What is inside your dossier this week? Well, I looked at, having watched all the highlights of all the FA Cup games, it took a long time, um, <laughs> I've noticed that basically that there is a way to beat um, a Premier League team. You need the Premier League team to put out uh, their B team, or lots of players who don't normally get a game. And what you do is you defend really narrow in a block. Everyone does this. Either there are five defenders and four midfielders, or four defenders and five midfielders. There's no variation really at all. Then you sit back and you defend for your lives. You hit on the counter with a winger and two strikers. They're normally on loan from a higher up team, and they're really quick. Uh, then you somehow you can manage to get a 3v2 this happened a lot of times in the, the highlight like shots you get on goal and then uh, they miss that chance <laughs> and then score from a header from the resulting set piece <laughs> who did it best this weekend? <laughs> Um, there was loads of teams to do I can't think of one um, who did Cole Thirst play for again Barnet Barnet yeah Barnett. they weren't playing a higher team particularly were they but uh, they were higher up in the league were they who were they Sheffield United United about three leagues above them. oh there we go sorry I'm just uh, I'm just not okay with a lot of the lower leagues in England as, as uh, much as others but uh, there that's exactly what you do and um, and uh, what's it the manager Chris, Chris Wilder is his name isn't it said um, that Sheffield United were fifth best in every department and uh, that's exactly the thing we're talking about earlier but the spirit this nebulous thing where if you turn up and really pile into folk and don't give them a single second of space just put, play the game of your lives you just act as though you're getting substituted within two minutes so you just waste all your energy going in you get results and every team did that very good indeed finally after Chesterfield defender Will Evans scored the equaliser and saved a penalty in their game against Ebbsfleet I want to know what is the best ever cameo from an outfield player between the sticks a few answers from our friends on Twitter Michael at MODonald49 says in 1989 Derry F City defender Stuart Gould had to go and go in a League Cup game in Athlone not only did he save a penalty scored the winning spot kick as well Derry completed a domestic clean sweep that season the only club in the League of Ireland history to do so as we all know Noel O'Brien sent us Niall Quinn scoring and then going on to save a penalty for Man City against Derby in 1991 thank you Noel and Matthew just sent us the gift of the Luis Suarez save against Ghana in the 2010 Mm. World Cup. Very well done, Matthew. (laughs) Uh, What's your nomination, Jim? Um, Well, uh, John Terry, um, uh, just because it was a kind of... um, It wasn't... He didn't save a penalty or do anything. I don't think he was in for very long, about three or four minutes. Um, uh, you know, you can imagine how desperate he would have been to have got on the um, Champions League winning team in goal, you know, but he never managed that. This was against Reading, uh, and it was one of Mourinho meltdowns um, because Peter Cech had been uh, injured early on and um, uh, the, the, there was a delay, I think, in getting the emergency services mm. and Mourinho went... Well, or claimed there was a delay. Czech has always worn his little helmet ever since that. Uh, he, so he went off. And then was it Carlo Cudicini came on? Or? I think it was Hilario. Hilario came on uh, thereafter. And then he got injured. So who else? Teza, obviously, yeah. has <laughs> to go up. in. Next man Step up. up. Sam? Uh, I raise you Cosmin Motti of Luda The Goretz, well-known. The well-known Cosmin, Cosmin. Motti of uh, Luda Goretz fame. Uh, I'll set the scene. Um, extra time in a Champions League qualifier against Style Bucharest. So there's a lot on the line here. It goes to penalties. Cosmin's in goal. Saves two, scores one. Luda Goretz go through. <sighs> Lovely Excuse stuff. I like that. JJ? Um, well, uh, sort of the reversal of that. I remember when David James went up front from Man City under Stuart Pearce. not answered the question. <laughs> okay. okay, well, I'll, I'll do the proper one then, right? So I, I was there at the 2000 Scottish Cup final. 
And this um, this is important. It was important in Scottish football history because uh, Jim Layton, who you will well remember, got kicked in the head by Rod Wallace in the second minute. And Aberdeen had to put uh, Robbie Winters, who was a striker, you know, not a very good one, in goal um, because at the time you could only have three substitutes on your bench. So we had three outfield players. Two of them were tiny little Moroccan players that um, Aberdeen had. And then there was Winters, so he went in goal, uh, conceded four. <laughs> the captain went off in the 41st minute with, yeah, it was 4 0 Rangers. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but it was good to watch Robbie Winters. They did well, he did as best as he could. And they changed the rule after that to five subs. A sad day in the history of JJ, but a good day in the history of Scottish football. And substitutes, yes. No longer quite as backward. <laughs> um, Jim, can I apologise? It was Cudicini, not Hilario. You're never coming on again, so... No, that's me, done. Thank you very much. (laughs) That's all for this week. If you need me before next Monday, head over to Twitter where it's at Tom with an H, Gibbs. You can also email the podcast, afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk. We'll get you there. We will read out the best of what you send us. One million credits to AFC loyalist Graves TD who left us a glowing five-star review on Apple Podcasts this week. Why not join them by favouring us with your precious stars? Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.